and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Brian Clayton, who is the CEO and co-founder of GreenPal. GreenPal is an online marketplace that connects homeowners with local lawn care professionals. GreenPal has been called the Uber for Lawn Care by Entrepreneur Magazine and has over 200,000 active users completing thousands of transactions per day. Thanks so much for joining us today, Brian. Matthew, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm going to kick us off by talking a bit about your background. As I mentioned, you're the CEO and co-founder of a very successful online marketplace. However, you don't really have a traditional tech background. Why do you believe you were successful building really a tech-driven business without a traditional tech background? Great question, because it, uh, it was a tough transition. I had a landscaping company, uh, very blue-collar, in the trenches, hand-to-hand combat, uh, traditional lawn care company for 15 years. Built it from just me and a push mower to me and 150 employees. And 2013, that company was acquired uh, by one of the largest landscaping businesses in the United States. So I sold it and took some time off and thought, well, what am I going to do now? And I thought, well, uh, maybe I can start the Uber for lawn mowing. How hard could it be? You know, how hard could it be to build an app? And I think, uh, you know, luckily it was naivete as an asset. I didn't really understand how challenging it was going to be to, to get this marketplace going. But my two co-founders and I, I think we succeeded by just never giving up. And one of the competitive advantages that helped us transition from a blue collar traditional style business background to becoming a full fledged tech startup was just authenticity. I think authenticity can be a competitive advantage when you are trying to innovate and create a breakthrough in a given industry. If, if you've spent time in that industry, if you understand how it works from the inside out, I think it can be the differentiating factor and you can learn the tech. Uh, which is how we did it. We, my two co-founders and I taught ourselves how to, how to code, how to build software, how to design software, how to distribute software. And that took about three years. But uh, I think the two things were authenticity and just not giving up. What did you learn given that I read something that you got the original kind of product or app or platform off the ground with pretty limited capital? What did you learn about, I don't want to call it bootstrapping, but what did you learn about growing a business in its infancy and growing it without a lot of capital behind it? Yeah, I think revenue can be the best form of financing. Hmm. If you are beholden to your customers using your product, sticking around to use the product, coming back to use the product because you need that revenue to keep going. It really kind of crystallizes your thinking into only focusing on a couple things at a time and really listening to your customers, letting that feedback guide you in terms of where you're spending your time, where you're spending your resources. You know, startups are a lot like poker in the sense that you're making bets. It's not like chess where it's linear and you're, you're building, you know, you're, you're making logical progressive decisions progressive decisions. No, you're making like bets like you do in poker. And if you are listening to customers, it can help really crystallize your thinking about what bets to take. And if you're self-funded, you really, really can't, you, you really can't lose sight of what matters. And a lot of times if, if you know, you see a, a startup raise, you know, a million, five million, $10 million, and it almost in a weird way, um, causes them to, to have a lesser of a chance of success because, because you can get sloppy. You can, you can do things like, like 
uh, hire a head of PR before you need one or, you know, hire, you know, focusing on like culture and branding when you don't even have a hundred customers, you know, things like that for us, because we were self-funded, we kind of had to work it like a video game and like, just focus on one level at a time. It's like, yo, we need, we need 20 customers. What are we going to do to get 20 customers? We don't have 20 customers. We're going to pass out flyers. Uh, and then, and then now we got a hundred customers. How can we get a thousand? Well, let's maybe like figure out how to build an SEO strategy. Like just taking it one level at a time, using the money we made to go, go out and make the product better and make, get more customers, which is how we tackled it. How have you evolved as a leader? Take me back to what it was like when you were just trying to get those first hundred customers to now having potentially hundreds of people working for you and thousands of customers. How, how has your evolution as a leader really changed over time? Yeah, I love the, the title of your podcast, Learn to Lead, because it, it's something that as business owners, as founders, we're never taught. We're not taught how to, to be leaders in high school or college or, you know, maybe if you go the military route, somebody teaches you how to be a decent leader, but we're never taught this. And so, and we're kind of born bad leaders. And so we kind of have to learn this stuff as we go. And for me, uh, I had a lot of leadership lessons in the first company that I built uh, to over 150 people. There, there, was, uh, there was one moment where I was driving into the office one day and I had this pit in my stomach. Like my, my stomach literally hurt because I didn't want to go there. Um, there was a lot of people that worked there that I didn't particularly like. Uh, the vibe was bad. Uh, the, the attitudes were, were awful. Um, I hated going to work there. And I, and so I was like, man, this really sucks. I wish I didn't have to go into the office today. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. You built this, <laughs> you know, it's like, this is a reflection of you. And so I think as the founder, as the leader, as the CEO, you get exactly the culture that you deserve. You get exactly the attitude and the vibe in the, in the workplace that you deserve, because it really does reflect you. And so I had to learn early on that a lot of the, the business and its success and just the overall enjoyment of working there depended on me, my enthusiasm. It depended on my attitude. It depended on how much I cared about the people that worked there and how much and how much just really just talk like acting through my actions, uh, it, it, how much it depended on. And so. I kind of went through a two or three year kind of, I guess you could say self-discovery and self-improvement process that uh, was probably the main takeaway building that first company. And I was able to bring that to the second company in terms of not making bad hires, bringing on right, good cultural fits, understanding what kind of people I was looking for when building the team. So I've gotten extremely lucky with building the team at GreenPow. We're now 43 people and everybody is smarter than me in some way. And I love it that way. And and we all get along. These are people I would actually hang out with. And so I was able to avoid a lot of those mistakes because I made them the first time. You talked a lot about hiring in that answer and how you've evolved as somebody who hires those around you. Do you have the one or two traits that you're really looking for or something that maybe was steered you wrong in the past and you've adjusted it as you've evolved? Yeah, I used to try to hire... so. So I, I, I read a book about how the Navy SEALs recruit team, team members, and they look at it on a, uh, like a two-by-two two matrix. And on the vertical axis is skill, and on the horizontal axis is trust. And so they try to get a combination of these two qualities. And, and so in the lower left-hand corner is like low trust, low skill. Nobody wants that, that, that person. And the upper right-hand corner is high trust, high skill. That's really who you want. 
obviously, but these are unicorns. They rarely exist. So they over-index on trust and less so on skill. They will take somebody on who is like half as good but maxes out on the trust factor versus somebody who's just like, like a warrior and, and is just, it's just maxing out on skill, but they don't trust as much. And so that's made sense to me in terms of let's not look for somebody who has all the skills necessarily that we want and need. Yeah, those are important, but like is this somebody we would break bread with? Is this somebody that like – um that we trust is this somebody that we would actually enjoy working with particularly like the first 10 hires um because you're going to be spending you know potentially 80 90 hours a week with 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 these people and so that's how we look at it that's how that's how i've approached it since day one building this company the other thing is i almost don't care about anything on a resume or or what school somebody went to i really only care about what have you built um what have you done and it's not who you know, it's not what you know, it's what you built. And so what have you worked on? Show me, you know, show me things that you've done. Maybe even jump in our project and, and spend a week on it and show me what, what, what you would do. And really going through that like dating process uh, before we, we make the commitment to one another. That has helped me a lot in terms of avoiding bad hires. I'm sure early on in the process, it was the goals were more about survival. And I'm guessing the goals now are more about thriving and really growing the business. How do you think about goal setting more broadly? Do you do it on an annual basis, biannual basis, weekly, daily? What does the goal setting process look like for you? Yeah, it's real simple in terms of right now, you know, we're doing close to 30 million a year in revenue and we have a three to four year goal to get to nine figures. That's all we care about. And, and it's not like we care about money, but we do, we care about revenue, but like we have to really take care and serve people to get there. And so that output metric guides a lot of the input metrics. And so the input metrics are the things we got to do on a daily, weekly basis to get to that output metric. So in terms of like goal setting and, and rallying everybody around a goal, I try to keep it simple, one or two things. And then let's lay out on a weekly basis what the input metrics are. It's like, okay, we got to grow, we got to grow traffic by thirty percent. How are we going to do that? Well, we got to create better content uh, for these things, and we have to, we have to like get better rankings for the existing pages. How are we going to do that? Well, we're gonna, well, we got a person on the team who's going to reach out to a hundred journalists every single day to get the links we need to these pages that drive them up. Uh, we have a new content creator that we've created that we've brought on that's going to create the content. Uh, to, so it's like getting really granular on the input metrics that map against one or two things we're trying to do is is how we approach it. And, you know, I'm not a big five year plan guy. I try to, like, focus everybody on one big goal and then let's manage the process and reward the process to get there. One of the things that you've mentioned in a lot of your answers is kind of delighting your customers. How do you, as the leader of the organization, think about interacting with your customers? How do you get feedback from your customers that, that hopefully can help you uh, align on how to get to those, that big audacious goal that you guys have? It really is, you know, customer feedback really is everything, especially in the early days. When we first started, you know, trying to make the transition from a blue collar traditional entrepreneur to a tech entrepreneur we read every book we get our hands on and two pivotal books were the startup owner's manual by steve blank and the lean startup by eric reese and what these two books and like two other books those guys wrote two thousand three thousand pages of text really beat into your head is to get out of the building and go talk to your customers and and make it just frictionless 
for them to tell you everywhere you suck on a, on an ongoing basis. And so we like embodied that day one, you know, we hustled up 30, 40 customers and then we would meet with these people in like on their kitchen, you know, at the kitchen counter or at a Starbucks or something and like face to face, like just listen to all the things that, that they wish the product would do where we let them down and so on. And that really, really, really helped us make the right bets in the early days. Now take this, you know, a decade later, we have almost 300,000 customers how do we keep that same ethos embedded in the DNA of the, of the company? We make it really frictionless for people to, to, to talk to us. Like our transactional email, it's not like no reply at greenpal.com. It like hits us up and, and, and like it literally hits us up. Like I still do, I still do an hour uh, or two of customer support every single day because I want to be really close to, to the voice of the customer. There's this weird thing that happens. Um, in the early days and, and really beyond with, with a founder, like there's a gap that develops between founder logic and customer logic. Hmm. And it's almost like these two people are looking at the same problem from different paradigms. And so if you, you know, if you don't do something to combat that, you can really, really, really get, get far off and be making decisions that your customer doesn't need or want. And so the way I close that is to remove all the friction between us and our customer, let them hit us up, let them talk to us, and me still personally doing, you know, an hour or two a day of customer interaction. So I can always understand at, a, at an innate level what the customer needs and wants. So you're joining us um, from Lima, Peru, which you mentioned to me before we started to hit record. Um, my assumption is that the vast majority of your team is potentially remote or you do a lot of management of remote employees. How does your style change when you can be face to face with somebody, when you be remote and as you've grown as an organization and needed to have people in more decentralized locations? Um, how do you think you've evolved as a leader to be successful in that environment? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's easier and harder. And so it's, it's easier in, in the sense that, you know, the work kind of has to speak for itself. And so you kind of know really quickly who's, who's pulling their weight and who's not when you're in a remote environment. Whereas if you're in a, in a person environment, which we started off as, you know, 10 people in an office and now we're fully distributed. We, we have over 40 people all over the world. And so in one way, you know, it's, it's, it's nice because it, it, it offers us the flexibility to work wherever we want, which is cool. It's a quality of life thing. Um, and so on the, so on the one sense it's easier, you know, really quick, who's not pulling their weight, but, but it's, but on the other hand, you know, uh, I, I read a quote somewhere like there was no way that the iPhone could have been built over zoom. So, so I sometimes wonder, um, you know, if we need to reclaim some of that, if we need to reclaim, you know, five to 10 people on a whiteboard. Um, so I'm not, I don't have that all figured out. But I do like the fact that when, you know, we, we have, you know, weekly standups uh, and, and those are good and, but it's not the same as being in an office. So I'm not sold one way or the other. They definitely both have their pros and cons. Um, but what I really try to do in, in this kind of dynamic is really just let the work speak for itself, not micromanage people. I don't have screen tracking on everybody's screens. Um, and, and literally just let the output uh, speak for itself and, and, and then manage that process. And when there's a breakdown, then, then we make changes and then we, 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 we investigate what's going wrong. But a lot of what I do is just removing log jams between people and trying to figure out, okay, well, well why isn't this done? What's going on here? Well, I'm waiting on this. Okay, hey, what's going on over here? So, so it works much the same, but I'm not sold one way or the other. 
one of the frequent questions that we get from a lot of our listeners is what do we not understand about your industry? And, and you're an interesting case because you can take it whatever direction you want. What do we not understand about running an online marketplace that's powered by technology? Or what do we not understand about the lawn care industry? Or what do we not understand about running a fast growing startup? Take it whichever way you want. I love that question. It's like every business has a million problems and they're all different. And you just don't know. You don't know what it's like until you get in there. For instance, like what's the simplest business in the world? I don't know, like a hot dog stand. Like the hot dog stand guy or gal, you know, the axle needs greasing. The hot dogs are, are getting too old and they're stale. The roof, the roof is leaking. The damn food inspector keeps, you know, busting his balls about something. Uh, you know, people, somebody got sick last week and blamed him, but it wasn't his hot dog that made him sick. Uh, you know, it's a million things. He's got, he hired somebody to run a second stand and they stole the cart. You know, you name it. Every business has a million problems and, and you don't know what they are. And so a lot of times when you're trying to innovate in an industry, and you're doing it from the outside in, you've never worked in that industry, it can really spell disaster. And so for us, you know, we're kind of like the hot dog stand guy. You know, there's a million things that can go wrong between I push a button and order a lawn mowing service and the person comes out and does a great job mowing the yard and bills me the correct amount. <laughs> like there's a million problems like rain that day, fence gate size too, too big, fence gate size too small, kids got sick, equipment got stolen, truck broke down. Uh, he hit a rock and it went through the window. Um, grass was too tall. He cut the grass too short. He let the dog out. Uh, million things. Like, and these are just like scratching the surface. So it's like we've taken a decade focusing on just this one chore. Let's make it as simple as pushing a button and let's solve all of those problems at the root cause through technology and try to prevent them from ever occurring. And uh, we use a little heuristic called the, the Toyota uh, lean manufacturing methodology of five whys. Every time something goes wrong, if you ask why five times, uh, you can usually get to the root cause. So this homeowner is pissed off. Well, why are they pissed off? Well, because they had a party on Friday afternoon and the grass was been cut and it wasn't cut. Well, why wasn't it cut? Well, because it rained that morning. Well, well, why didn't the contractor, uh, mow it the day before? Well, because they didn't know it was going to rain. Well, okay, well, let's build up something where we can tap into an API and let them know it's going to rain and let the homeowner know it's going to rain so we can get it mowed a day early rather than waiting to the last minute. So it's like just one example of trying to ask why five times and fix problems at the root cause is, is how we've approached this. Well, fixing problems at the root cause is definitely a perfect spot to shift us to our final rapid fire questions that I get to ask all of our guests. So if you're ready, here is question number one. And it is, if you could describe your leadership style, but I just gave you one word, what would your one word be? Ooh, it's good. Uh, connection. I and think. Oh, go ahead. Your people have to know that you care. You really got to give a shit. Like they have to, like you really got to care. Like you can't fake it. You got to build a connection. You got to figure out where they're trying to get to in life and how the company is the vehicle to help them get there. And if you don't, if you try to fake that, uh, it's going to be tough. So connection, that, that would, that would be the way I'll describe it. And the final rapid fire question is this, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? best piece of advice I've ever received. Uh, you know, spend less time on things that don't matter. And, and what I mean by that is when I was starting GreenPal, 
we we were like focused on what the brand looked like and what the color scheme of the website was going to be. And we had a little mascot that we created and should his hat be brown or should it be tan? And uh, what's the culture of this business going to be? And, you know, what kind of phone support customer service system solution are we going to use? We didn't have, we had like no customers. So focus less on things that don't matter. Figure out what stage of the game you're at. You know, if you're playing you know, Super Mario Brothers, don't worry about Bowser. Just get through level one, throw up the flag, get on the level two is what's made sense for me. And, and uh, so it was a good piece of advice. It could have saved me from tanking the company. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Brian. Um, where can our listeners find out more about you? Yeah, life's too short to mow your own yard. So just download Green Pal in the App Store or Play Store if you need to get somebody to come take care of that chore for you. And anybody wants to hit me up, uh, hit me up on Instagram, Brian M. Clayton. I'll hit you back. Awesome. Well, thank you for the great insight. Thanks to all of our wonderful listeners, as always, for joining us. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer. You can find our show on Instagram at Ability Sims. And you can find our organization at Ability.com. I want to thank Brian again for joining us on this episode. And of course, I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast. This podcast is produced by Ability, a leading provider of award-winning leadership development. You can find us at www.ability.com or by searching for Ability Leadership Development. Make sure to also check out our 12-week fully virtual mini MBA, the Invited MBA, a nights and weekends program that features experiential learning, mentorship, case studies, and networking. Find more information at www.invitedmba.com. Finally, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you get our next episode. We want to thank you all for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast.